This is the audio podcast. It is the 4th of February, and this is episode 102, Dumb Cable Tester. Hello, that was Scott yeah. Hewitt. I'm Samuel Freeman, and also we have Adam Yanch. Hello, everybody. And remember, uh, the audio podcast, we record live on YouTube, so uh, you can catch up with us at uh, youtube.com forward slash the audio podcast. Um, you can also get in contact with us on Twitter at the audio podcast. There's an email address. I, I, I can't remember what the email address is. And Show uh, there are, at the audio podcast. .co.uk. That's right. And there are various other ways of picking up the podcast by iTunes, um, Podcaster, G Podder. Yep. Um, this is all stuff I've never said before, and I've managed to just about say it. But I say, let's get going with the show. Shall we, Scott? Let's get straight into the news then. If you want to follow along, don't forget you can find the show notes at theaudiopodcast.co.uk forward slash show forward slash 102. To start us off then, some high-end gear. Uh, Focusrite have announced the RedNet D16, which is a uh, inter- an interface for a Dante audio network. Yeah. This is the um, smallest one of these that they've done. All the others have been big. This is the first one unit, and 16 seems like a fairly small count compared to some of the other ones, but I, mean, I don't know. Actually, I'm, I'm, That's from memory. I was going to look it up. I haven't got that far. But... Uh, well, what this is, is it's an AES EBU interface, and it uh, does its multiple tracks on ASEBU on a D-sub. So uh, it's really, it's quite a niche one, this. It's not hugely useful unless you have something ASEBU on a D-sub to connect up to it. But it's useful to have. It's useful to have. Or, or you have the, the Dante Audio Network running as well, and it, it, it does have a dual interface. There's two Ethernet cards on the back. On the back of this now, because that's been a concern that some people have had running a single network connection, whereas having a second is quite nice. So. Mm-hmm. That's kind of that's kind of cool. I like it. You know, this is kit that I find really interesting. I'm really interested in the network audio. At the same point, it's not really kit that I have the opportunity to work with on a regular basis. So you know, but it's it's still nice for us to mention it. How about something that is probably you're much more likely to come across or maybe more interested in? Um, a new plug in here, um, Heavyo City have released a new collection of synth drums, percussion, and of course the obligatory classic drum sound emulations and samples in the uh, DM307 Groove Designer. Now, I believe that this will be pronounced Heaviosity Perhaps. rather than Heavy-O-City, which sounds like some kind of Irish destination. I, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, actually, that looks pretty good. I've got the website up. They've got some... Um, some SoundCloud-based samples that you can listen to on their website. So remember, you can go to the audiopodcast.co.uk forward slash show forward slash 102 and find the link to the Heaviosity website. Yeah, it looks pretty good. Awesome. Oh, you want me to go with what's next? Sorry, in Sorry, which case... I thought, I, I thought the show was going to end there. I thought it was just going to end That was it. <laughs> We were Five done. minutes. <laughs> that, that's fine. Um, so here we go. Now, now this is something I'm not sure how I how I believe about what I believe about this or not. So first of all, the news, the statement here. Um, Slate have announced the virtual microphone system, which is a hardware-based m- microphone modeling system that allows for the emulation of classic microphones. Yep. So Slate Digital have got this assist, 
a system that comprises two microphones, a large diaphragm one and a small diaphragm one, and they've got their own um, ADD preamp that they plug into, and these things have been designed with absolutely flat frequency response as much as possible. The idea being that you then use the software to emulate whatever microphone and whatever preamp you wish. That's the idea. Excellent. Yeah. Do you... Okay, so I, I, I want to call... I have, I, I have some concerns about this. First of all, the first thing I'd say is, isn't a significant characteristic of a microphone the, the way that you interact with it and the kind of proximity effects that it also offers? If we take, say, for, for example, the SM58, which I'm sure most of our listeners will be familiar with, a significant feature of the SM58 is obviously the proximity effect that you get when you come in really close and right onto the grill. So how do you use, how how does a technique how how does this kind of thing work in that kind of basis? Ah well, I think uh, it's very much like so the other type of simulated thing that we can compare this to is an, a modelled amp, and there are lots of modelled amps ever since the Pod came out. They've made hardware ones, software ones. There's the one in Logic, which is the one I have a bit of familiarity with. And the way they do it there is they actually allow you to choose various points at which you can place the microphone against the grill of the um, of the speaker, effectively. Or you can DI the amp straight through without a microphone. So I haven't looked at exactly how this system works, but I imagine what they've done is simulated uh, various microphone positions. So close up to the source, no, further away from the source, that type of thing? No, this is um, it's very much just emulating the frequency response, the, um, the harmonics and the saturation of different microphones. Ah, okay. And it's that, so you, in terms of microphone placement, it's still up to you to place the microphone in the best spot on your amplifier if you're doing guitar or yeah, you're still going to so be stood what, singing into it. But and, surely that must be a part of it, because what happens if, say, you decide to record, you, you've got a synthesizer track, in Logic or whatever DAW, and you want to run it through this system because you're hmm. recording it effectively through a microphone. I mean, there must be a way. This system must have a way to decide on exactly what Scott said. Proximity effect is one particular effect that's dependent on where you put your microphone in relation to the source. I should imagine so, you can run any audio through this plugin, but that's not what it's intended for. It is intended explicitly for use with these microphones and that preamp slash HD. Um, but you I, could I run any audio through it. Yeah. I, I, I think I, I guess I'm probably being a little bit a little bit provocative, perhaps, of the way that I've I wrote it. I, I suspect that they have a selection of microphones which they claim that you can model with this, and I suspect that those microphones probably have similar intended characteristics to the reference microphones that they are intending for you to use. And they, if my memory serves me correctly, there are two microphones, the ML1 and the ML2, so that gives them mm -hmm. two different microphones with what I, what I presume are pretty much smooth and near-reference kind of level responses, but probably with slightly different characteristics, and from those characteristics they can handle some of this. But th this is the thing that makes me always really worried about these kind of, I these kind of ideas and th these kind of things, because... It's one thing to emulate different guitar cabs, you know, as, as we've seen Pod and people like that do for many years now, because obviously the position in the signal chain is fixed and the, the way it works is fixed. But 
with microphone emulation, it always struck me that there's this big problem, which is just the fact that so much of the characteristic is based on the physical object and the way in which you interact with it. That how you can mm. emulate that. I don't know. But what? The, the, sorry, Sam, you go. Yeah, you go. Microphone placement is like something that is not handled by this. That's still something that's very important. Like, and you're right that it didn't really occur to me, and now I'm thinking that things like off-axis characteristics, I don't like. How could they handle that? Probably not is the answer. Although, but what this does allow you to do is to change what microphone model you're using in the mix because like, yeah, the placement of the microphone is important but this, this, the choice of microphone is just as important and although there's bound to be some things that you cannot do because it's not the actual thing you are able to swap and change what emulation you're using at the mix stage in order to change the characteristics and some of the modeling includes features other, because it's the microphone and preamp combos that are being emulated, with each part being separately selectable, they have presets according to their bump um, that in, they include things like tape saturation within that modeling. So they go in, you know, beyond it, and it's yeah, they say it's not convolution; it's all kind of coded, I suppose, to emulate the different as much as they can. Let's say. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Let, let's see. I, I remain I remain to be convinced <laughs> in this space, but there there we go. I, I suspect actually that a key element of this is also the simple fact of the matter is that you will either have the you'll either have the microphone and use it, or else you'll have the emulation and use it. And the number of people who have both and switch between the two of them, I suspect, is very small, if if actually any. And <clears throat> I mean and at that point it becomes a is is the sound that you're getting the kind of sound you want and does it position inside the mix becomes far more important than the accuracy of the emulation of the thing that you think you're emulating. So there you go. Maybe Scott, I don't Scott, know. Could could you answer me a question, Scott? Okay, Adam. Um, do you think that you could record house music with this? Yes. Oh, so there's absolutely no need for the deep flash house sampler bank that's been announced by who has it been announced by? Does sampler Banks. Oh, Sampler Banks is the name of the company. I believe so, yes. Oh, the... okay. I get it. Because also I was saying Sampler Banks is two words and this is Sampler Banks is one word. Um, so you wouldn't need this thing, which uh, is basically a bunch of samples for house music, uh, bringing across more contemporary styles of house music, including kind of disclosure, that kind of thing, and available... Uh, in formats such as Acid Wav, Apple Loops, XS24, Halion, you know, all the kind of major things. We, I mean, we wouldn't need that. Well, but but we have it nonetheless, and those samples are recorded at 24-bit and available online now. And do you know what's good, Adam? We might not need it, but it's choice. Choice is what matters. And the, the, way, that they've, <laughs> the way they've priced this is it has a base price of... Um, Six pounds ninety-five, and then you choose what format you want to have Ooh. the stuff in. And so you could get the whole thing in one or other format for plus eighteen pounds. Or if you only want the bass and music loops as a WAV, for example, then you can get those alone for just an extra six pounds on top of that base See? price. So options. See, it's interesting though because house music, this kind of music is usually created using synthesizers. So wouldn't it be better to learn how to? <laughs> Program a synthesizer to make these sounds. So there's a book out. Moving. 
And we can stop no, there if I, you want. I like, I, I like Adam's question. I okay, thought Adam's question was neat. But I, I, I guess the issue here, isn't it, is is that if you are if you want to make house music and you want to make house music with a level of authenticity which attaches to another genre, then the scope of sound that you really have available to you is very limited in terms of the really, you know, if you're going to make some sort of piece of house music and say it's kind of Chicago, then there is really only a single snare clap sound that you can use and that's it. Like, So you could spend a long time synthesizing that sound exactly right or you could just use a sample yeah. Off that sound and be done. I'm saying, and one of them saves you a you know a couple of hours of probably fairly dull work. Yeah, say. but learning how to do it, at least you learn something that you can then apply later on. But then I suppose you can use samples in a different way as well. So it's uh, up to the creativity of the user. It is, and it's perhaps a way in. Like if you're making, there's, I think a lot of people perhaps start out making music by drag and drop and mixing matching sample loops you know like a lot of these are actually this is like a, a bank a sample bank not of individual hits although they may be included too but of whole loops so you've got a drum loop and a bass loop and uh, melody bits and you can mix and match these so it's a, it's a whole different way of, of thinking about the music that you're making the, and um, I, Sam, you seem to have read the page in, in real detail there. Um, <laughs> am, am I right in thinking that, you may have spotted this or not, but I suspect that these samples are commercially cleared as well already in that they they are available for use. And that sometimes can be nice as well. I'm saying I've, I've quite often been in a situation where I've recreated a sound, then you find yourself in that moment of, is this going to, are you going to end up in bother here? Because it's... Yeah. <laughs> that would be ridiculous. That would be kind of... That would be funny if that were the case, but I'm not seeing anything that explicitly says about that. Really... Surely you couldn't release this kind of thing. Well, you could, because someone could always make a tune using these things and not release the tune, but surely the whole point is that this is something that you don't have to think about clearing the samples. So you just go straight through and you can release it without... Yeah, but you, you have to know. presume these are cleared and saying that they... Yeah. Know, if people, as far as I'm concerned, if people are selling samples, they should be selling samples with clearance. Well, Actually, the way I, I see it is... I don't even know how you could if you didn't, yeah. Well, this isn't a problem necessarily for the audio podcast. We can only say to listeners, be vigilant, make sure that any samples that you buy, sample packs that you buy are cleared for when you put them up on SoundCloud as your own. Da, da, da. <laughs> that is... Great, very typical, dubious advice that should be taken under great consideration, supplied once more by the audio podcast. However, for some advice that you can actually take to the intellectual bank, a new book by Scott Bender, Make Some Noise. Cool. I just said Binder, but you never know. Scott Binder? I, Binder? Binder? Binder, who Binder. knows? Binder. Binder, okay. Binder. Let's go for Bender. I, I said Bender, why not Bender? Yeah, I think Bender. Fine. Um, <laughs> I'm happy with that. Yep, it's a book about DJing. Cool. There you go. It's available on Amazon and other booksellers. <laughs> there you go. This, this one claims, though, this one claims to go like a, a stage further than uh, other DJ, how to be a DJ type books. It needs so. It needs a claim because otherwise it would just be another DJ type book. Yep, including discussing DJing while playing a live instrument as well. There yeah, because do. That's really easy. 
<laughs> it'd be great if it did actually just say on the front cover another book, just another book about DJing. That'd be fantastic. And talking about other Scott and Sam, you know where we're up to? If we go to the other section of the show. <laughs> the the other section, as as Adam and I were discussing before the show started, is the thing which doesn't where it isn't really news. But it's not really plunder because it's not amusing or because it's really a point for one of us to rant about something of interest. In this case, it's entirely myself um, who wanted to rant about something here. But a, a couple of things. So first of all, Sonic State had a, a great article which had the phrase, a golden age of controllerism, which I thought was spectacular. <laughs> and um, I was also in, involved in a Facebook discussion about MIDI controllers as well this week. And it, it got me thinking about the whole issue of controllers. So, and... I thought it would be worth mentioning. So, I have a decision process about the controllers I use. I have I have two controllers. I have a Oxygen Oxygen 8 version 2, which is like a little M audio keyboard, eight dials, eight sliders on it, kind of two wheels on the side. And I have a, a PV Fatboy as well, which is eight controllers with the channel selector, and they're just dials as well, which is a big metal box from the 90s, as, as they say, like that. You see, and um, I'll put links to both of those as a comment on the side of it, sort of thing. But what I thought was, what I thought was interesting was that I'm not sure. I'd like to say I use those controllers. In reality, I don't tend to use them very much because I find that everything I, my laptop actually offers the vast majority of controller controlling I need. And carrying anything else just, in my mind, always just seems to be an extra burden. It's just something to carry, something to go wrong. But the reason I have made those two choices is due to the fact that generally you can get a replacement for them very quickly. So like the Oxygen 8 is a very it's very cheap. It's just a cheap single octave you know single octave keyboard. And in actual fact, you know, if you're anywhere and you need a MIDI keyboard, you can usually just, you know, anybody got a keyboard and one can appear and then you can just reuse it. So so that that was what me got got me thinking is the fact that while we have all these new cool controllers and all the you know and the, and some of them are really fun. I played with monohms and stuff like that and they're great. At the same point for me the the key thing is I want stuff which is cheap, breakable so I don't have to care about it, and easily replaced the hour before the gig if I need to, if I need to replace it in that sort of timescale. And I just thought for you guys, what do you what, what what do you think about this? I'm saying, do you consider us to be in the golden age of controllerism? I think that your criticism of having to carry things works for the whole live performance thing, but there's also like plenty of people who make fixed media music who just have their studio set up and don't take it with them. Mm -hmm. So that's a consideration. I was going to say that. Yeah, like not everything is needs to be portable. Things are not always made that way. Um, I'm a big fan of the mouse and QWERTY keyboard combo as control for controlling the keyboard computer. I think there's a lot you can do with that, even beyond its. Yeah, and but well, yeah. I'll let Adam answer your question, then we'll come back round, and I'll say what else I've got to say. Well, yeah, I think. Uh... Oh yeah, I was going to echo what Sam said about uh, live is one place where you use controllers, but the studio is easily and equally viable place to use controllers. So you can maybe afford to spend a bit more there. You're not going to be chucking it, chucking it in a bag, and it's not going to be bashed around a lot. And you know what I find when because what I have is I have a Novation. What's it called? The the auto map novation with the dials and the fades. Um, 
I can never remember the name of it. That's the problem. Um, because it's it's a stereo interface as well, isn't it? No, it isn't. It's just USB. Oh. Um, you're thinking of the other Novation thing I had, but I got this controller. Oh. Um, it's it's the one that Graham Booth had. You know which one I mean. That's a um, spectacular reference for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> everybody in the world. There. I didn't want to have to use that reference, but I thought it might help jog your memory. What your I will memory. do is I'm actually going to Google search for Novation Graham Booth and see what happens. Because so, right. so, um, <laughs> this have... is what all our listeners are doing right now. This is their only option. <laughs> Unless they're on the bus and there's no uh, internet thing. Um, it, it has not worked out well for them, let's just put it that way. So, so I have one of those, and uh, I mean, I used it kind of briefly for about two weeks. I was using it, and I thought, this is brilliant, this is absolutely genius. And then I just I stopped using the studio for a bit, and I came back, and then I haven't used it since. Like, I'm, I'm actually perfectly happy just controlling the plugins and stuff up on the screen with the mouse. And uh, I've also recently connected a, an Avid... Artist Mix, I think it's called. It's a fader box. Um, used to be a Euphonics, and I just connected that the other day. So I'll see how that fits into my scheme of working. But you know what? I'm like you two. I in the studio, I don't really use. Con I haven't really got controllers integrated, at least into my into my way of working. But there are some people who. I don't think they would be able to work without having a, another way of of putting data into the computer because it's it's you know we've obviously got used to doing it our way. For a lot of musicians, I think, and electronic musicians, I think being without a piano type keyboard would be a problem for them. I think that that's like very much a default part of a lot of studio setups for music making. S Scott mentioned the Monome earlier and a few years ago when they announced that they were going to be releasing the Arc to go with it, the rotary controller thing, I thought that looked like a really exciting prospect but um, put off one by it not being available immediately at the time that they mentioned it and also the fact that it was going to be ridiculously expensive to me as a poor student as I was. Um, <laughs> I looked into alternatives that do the same and came across the Griffin Powermates, which is I've got I've got them here and I use these for a while. I still have them. I don't use them very often. It's a little USB plug-in thing, and it's no way near as um, the resolution is not the same as the um, the Arc, and it's got no little LEDs that you can program to light up. But it does give you endless rotary control and also button push up and down, so you can push and turn and yeah, it's they're kind of marketed as um, it comes with its own software that'll let it interface with the, the system volume control and things like that, or you can have it, you can map it to anything. And yeah, I found that you you can get um, I, I, the rotary, you get about 95 clicks per 180 degrees, which is a lot less than you get on the arc, but it's perfectly ample. And having a pair of these meant that I could program up some interfaces that are quite expressive in a very different way than is available through other stuff by turning and pushing down and things. So yeah, there you go. They're the controllers that I've used the most. But again, as like Adam was saying, that was fun for a while, but it's not a part of my regular setup and I've not touched them until today for good months. So and and isn't this isn't that what happens with all these interfaces? You you get them, you play with them, they're really cool. You spend hours making it so you can change some sort of reverb parameter using your webcam or something like that. 
and you know what I mean? Like you, you build these things, and then it's like, yeah, 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 and then you don't use it, and then you have some reason to disconnect it or not maintain it, and then you never bother to rebuild it, and you just kind of carry on from there. Is that is is that not your most typical experience of that kind of thing? Like mm. it is for me. Yeah, I think un unless I think a thing like that will only really become part of someone's setup if they if they integrate it, spend the time to integrate it the first time, they just keep using it and keep using it and keep using it for like a few months. And then it's when it's when you notice that you're missing that functionality that it becomes absolutely necessary. But if if it doesn't actually take over the function of something else, then there's, you know, you're not really gain. Maybe you're not gaining as much, or you would gain, but you're actually happy with the way you're working. And oh, I don't know. Uh, by the way, it's the nocturne. The nocturne, of course. No, novation nocturne. I just had to look it up. And there's this really interesting one I saw on Sound on Sound last month. Sound on Sound, called the uh, New Design Alpha Sphere. I'll put it in a link. Um, in the the oh, Alpha Sphere. That's the one that's like spherical and it's got the yeah, like adjusted software with all these little pads on it, and it looks like you approach it like you're trying to massage someone's brain or something like that. <laughs> it's, uh, it's an interesting-looking thing, and I mean, it's it's interesting though to see how companies come up with new ways of implementing the different types of sensor, or coming up with a new kind of sensor and trying to integrate that in to. Uh, a product that people could actually use for this kind of stuff. So you know, keep your keep your mind open. I say. A couple of weeks, um, just a couple of weeks ago, while while we're on the subject of remembering names of things, um, I couldn't remember the name of a particular controller. The link that Scott has put in the other section that goes to a Sonic State page, and the first link in there goes to the Leap Motion, which I don't know if I ever came back and said was the name of the thing that I was failing to remember the name of. I love the audio podcast. It's like this collection of deep references to our own minds. <laughs> well, the thing is, we know each other so well, so we, we tend to deep reference quite a lot. But you know, we tend to put the references out onto uh, on, onto the the show notes, which you can find at uh, theaudiopodcast.co.uk forward slash forward slash one hundred two for this particular show. In in, indeed, so I've I have added my picks as um, as uh, as a comment on the story already. I'd encourage you guys to do. I think Adam, it's important that you put the Graham Booth uh, reference in there as well for people so they can find it nice and quick as well. I'll put a big picture of Graham Booth up in there. <laughs> Spectacular. <laughs> I don't know if he still listens to this. If he is, it all right, Graham? How's it going? It's a nocturne. It's called nocturne. Graham Booth was one of the people that performed in the um, making of what used to be the audio podcast music for more deep reference into ourselves. There we go. Um, I almost put the music on the start of the show today, but I have to be honest, I was running a little late, so I didn't. But... Can't you put it on afterwards? Because it's great music. It's, it should be at the start of everyone. The, the, the effort of applying it is, is just too great. I'm sorry. And then I, I came to the conclusion that there's no purpose. Hey, we're in the other section, so this is perfectly material, perfectly suitable material. Um, so the reason... It. It's, it's, it, it's the beacon. You hear, it's like the start of the arches, you know, when you've got Radio 4 on, it turns 7 o'clock and you hear... And it's yeah, the, the time... That's the time you run over and you switch the radio off. Yeah. 
you failed if you actually hear that. You should know it's coming and get it off. No, 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 no. Well, you haven't failed. You, you failed if you hear the first word of dialogue in the sh in that show. I, I don't. I I understand that entirely. However, <laughs> that is that is definitely old media. That is that is not a new media feel. People choose to listen to our show and have planned to do so, and not only have done so, but have generally downloaded it and got it ready to go. And at that point, if they wish, they may hum the opening the the ten seconds of the music to themselves before pressing play. But well, you know, I, mean, I don't want to do that. So they won't. The new listeners won't even know what music we're talking about. And it was also a great little ad for Helo PG. Uh, That's know, true. And it our, did also our get old it. laptop and ensemble. It did also get us our first ever YouTube takedown as well. That music as well. Did it? Oh wow! Somebody claimed a copyright violation on the music, which was just spectacular because obviously it wasn't. <laughs> but. Not only was it not a copyright violation, but uh, that music had actually been put online in that guy's about nine months before the piece of music they claimed it was a copyright violation had been released. So it was, uh, it's one of those classic win all round moments, as they say. But yeah. my so anyway, anyway, there you go. That's a whole <laughs> load of deep linking. We're not going to mention any of that. But if you want to, when is it? Well, maybe twenty around about episode twenty-ish or something like that. You'll find that some theme tune music appears and. Maybe we'll play it one day. We could do something like that. That I was on know. the very first one. It was on the very first No, I don't, I don't think it was. It was because I accidentally oh. hit play in iTunes today and it played that music. And I thought, hey, we didn't put this music on the show 102, uh, 101, which was the last one. And uh, and then it started with, uh, hello, this is the audio podcast and this is the first episode, Drumming the Web. I was like, ah. So there you go. There we go, some stuff. Wow. You know, as, as we head into the plunder, we don't quite get there. That is a cool point. So, you know what I mean? If you want to, if you, if this is the first time you're listening to us, you'll find that every show we've ever done is available for free online. You can download them. They will appear in iTunes. You can download them. And this is the 51st episode, I think I'm right in saying, which you, which will be on YouTube. So you can actually watch our insightful facial expressions alongside as well. I so often forget the cameras on, even though I I, I just kind of flip flop between like speaking directly to it, which is rubbish for the podcast, and um, when I'm when I'm showing objects and then forgetting it's there. So yeah, some honest faces. You might catch me uh, every once in a while in an episode. I'll just start making silly faces when someone else is talking. There's really <laughs> subtle ones where I just spend ages opening my eyes to really wide and then closing them again, all going. Like that. I don't know if you. I don't know if you can see that because all of the videos in my my video in this thing is really really delayed. It's several seconds behind. Adam has serious lag, serious video lag right now. Let's I, get into I'm the plunder. That too. Plunder. 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 Arr. Arr. Into the plunder here. So first of all, have you ever wondered when you should use fast or slow compression? If so, ProSound Web have a article about that. I I can basically summarize it for you. Okay. Start start with slow. This is what they say. Start with slow compression, and dial it faster if you need. That's what they say. And you know, give it a shot. I mean, I, I don't know. I usually just have it set from whatever the Logic compressor comes up with. So. <laughs> yeah. there that's how how much craft I put into my productions. Yeah, no, no, normally I turn the compressor on and what whatever it was last doing it carries on doing. <laughs> it's like hmm, maybe a bit different. See like that. You know, um, this is one of the reasons. Actually, we talked about this last week, didn't we? This is one of the reasons why I love those Yamaha desks so much. The one dial compressor, <laughs> grab it, twist, and that's as done. <laughs> I've got a um, one of those little Pico unit 
Limits, which is a compressor limiter, and it's just yeah. Well, it's got two dials. It's got gain and oh, is that an LS? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, 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 yeah. I know what really, you mean. Yeah, not a stereo thing. I cool. don't really just whack it on full. <laughs> yep. So once you've got your compression sorted out and you've recorded what will almost certainly be an epic track that will be referenced and will define the age, um, you might want to hang your guitar up, Adam. Well, yeah, you, you might. I mean, it depends whether you were actually playing guitar in the first place or whether in some weird drug-related dream. But, uh, yes, um, a few episodes ago we had in the other section a little bit from me about uh, a new way of storing microphones, uh, something from Scott about a new way of organising your cables. Sam, did you have a little uh, studio? No, but I've got a cable organising one ready to go. I maybe I'll, I'll next week. Let's do that next, next week. week. Next Let's week. Let's do that yeah. next week. But following on from that, because um, uh, I had a little move around in my studio the other day, and I thought, ah, oh, I could put my guitars up on the wall. So I was looking for like a guitar hanging thing, and the first thing that came up, if you Google search uh, guitar hanger, is actually not a wall-based one but uh, one called The Guitar Hanger. And what it allows you to do is hang your guitar in your wardrobe or on a rail of some, of some kind. Fantastic. So there you go. You can intermingle it with your clothes or uh, you can just have a, a, a wardrobe full of guitars and your other half will probably be really upset because there's nowhere to put any clothes. Awesome should... stuff, Adam. I like it. I, I yep. like it a lot. It's always great to hear about people's workspaces, Sam. It is indeed, and um, Cycling74 currently have a bunch of photographs of people's workspaces, so I presume these are people who you work with, Max MSP and other Cycling74 products, but their workspace photographs are there. There's not a massive collection, so I'm, I'm presuming this is open to contribution. Um, but yeah, interesting to see different workspaces. I don't know. I, 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 genuinely think, I genuinely do think that it is, but I don't have much more to say about it than that. That's hey, 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 should we put our uh, our own workspaces up? I don't have time to tidy it up and to the point where it would be acceptable enough. But oh. you can see behind me, which I think is quite nice. You know, there you go. I have what? a pile of is CDs. That is that your just workspace? Here. Yeah, this is where I work. Oh, okay. a, big, a big light. There you go. Some Christmas lights that I don't take down. I leave up all year. Motion sensor right there in the top. Pretty awesome. On this side here is a wall. Yeah. Oh, very, very good. Can you use the wall for anything? Can hang a guitar on there? Well, I, I, I could do. I could do. I could do. Adam has alluded to the fact that putting your guitar in your wardrobe will upset people. Mm -hmm. Sam has uh, suggested that we could show our workspaces to each other as well, but that would possibly... I leave my desk in such a state that nobody could ever use it for anything. So I'm a bit well, messy I wonder, I my I wonder Scott, if, if we're going to actually talk about headphones. Um, I was getting there. This was I had the most convoluted intro ever on the way there. I, I feel robbed of it. I'm going to ignore let's, you. However, the audio out, podcast, we, 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 we have promised a headphone special, and it is coming soon. I've cooked up the idea in my mind. But Lifehacker have released an article which covers one of our most favorite topics right now, which is headphones. And Lifehacker... Have uh, have some thoughts about Beats headphones. Mm. Did I read you guys read the article? I did. No. I did. I'm reading it now. <laughs> um, basically, it says that, uh, that the summary is really simple. Well, it is that they're, they're not actually as good as 
well, they're not actually that good, is the summary. <laughs> uh, but the, they kind of sound all right when... I, I don't know if you guys will hear this, but I've got a uh, train coming past my house right now. Nope. Can you hear that? No, you're fine. No, it's fine, okay. Um, so, yeah, the summary is that... Um, no, uh, more in-depth, is that they kind of sound all right when you first listen to them if you like bass in your music. But then if you listen to better quality headphones and then go back to them, you actually realize they're terrible. Yeah. I think the thing about Beats headphones is that obviously they're cool and trendy and therefore you know you're paying more, but people are willing to pay the money because they're cool and trendy. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, they are cool and trendy, but they are a significant step up from the kind of typical bad pair of headphones, shall I say, for want of a better phrase. you know, If, if you've only ever bought a 20 quid... If you've only ever bought a 20 quid pair of headphones, then Beats will sound a lot better than your 20 pound your 20 pound headphones will do because they're you know 100 pounds more at least, if not more. Well, than yeah, but, but there's a lot of things you can spend that money on instead, which don't have the brand, which don't have the kind of immediate this is cool, which will actually sound a lot better for potentially less money. I don't. Know. Yes, and actually. I mean, that's, you know, Beats, Dr. Dre, that's a very popular thing. But the brands that are actually better and you'll get better quality for less money are classic standard pro audio brands, stuff, stuff like AKG, Sennheiser, Audio-Technica, that type of thing. And you know what? I'm going to recommend a pair Ooh. of headphones. Yeah. Uh, but I can't because actually the... The web page I opened didn't have. Oh, that's okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Adam. Adam, I'm going to have to stop you there and tell you that your headphone recommendation has to work for the audio pod. Has to wait for the audio podcast headphone special. Oh yeah. Good point. Good point. So uh, th th I'm I'm just going to defer that. But uh, yeah, there's a there's a good set set of headphones out there you can have for less than a pair of Beats, and they'll be probably almost definitely better quality. Fantastic stuff. There we go. You can read the full article. An actual fact, Lifehacker has taken a lot of the material from Gizmodo, if I remember correctly. So, um, but they, they link to that article. It's fine. You know, you know how it is. You can follow the links. You can get that information there. If you are the kind of person who likes to make a well-informed purchasing decision, then I wouldn't suggest that holding out for the audio podcast uh, headphone special is going to be particularly worthwhile. You should feel free to go ahead with your headphone purchasing right now. Um, the audio podcast headphone special is going to be everything you could possibly hope it is, but it's unlikely to be, um, you know, quality purchasing advice. I think the problem we're going to have, Scott, is that we're not actually going to get any of these headphones in to try, are we? So we're no. basically going to recommend the headphones that we ha that we use on a regular basis. Well, it's not a recommendation show. It's just a headphone special. Which is, it probably will be talking about all the headphones that we do have access to. That is correct. That's a new pair of headphones, Sam. I haven't seen those ones before. I have, I have, I have one of them. It's, um, it's a headset. It'll be, I'll talk about it on the special. It's, oh, it, right. it's, okay. yeah. I mean, you know, we love headphones. We should have a headphone special. It's very clear. If you're out there listening to the show, we, we've essentially made it to the end, as you've probably detected. The vast majority <laughs> of people probably stopped around the end of the news, which is honestly fair enough. I, I like to think it's probably worth holding on to the end, but in reality, there we go. You know what I mean? If you have a pair of your favorite headphones and you think we should uh, mention them in the headphone special, then you could obviously, you know, send us something about them. That that would be nice. Perhaps you'd like to join us for the headphone special, in which case I think that could be a something that could be worked out as well. So, um, so, so when is the headphone special? On holiday with your yeah. headphones. That's true. When is the headphone special due? I think we should commit to a date right now so the headphone special will have been released and will be available for you to listen 
by this time in 2020. <laughs> but probably sooner. But, but probably by then. When, when is that? My six years away. That cal- my calendar doesn't go that far forward. <laughs> Approximately six years. Uh, Scott, I don't think I can make it. I think I've got a doctor's appointment. Oh, well, you have to, we'll have to get it done beforehand then. That's all that can be said. Okay. There we go. Anyway, this was the audio podcast. This is episode 102, recorded on, what, the 4th of February? Yes, it was indeed. Yep. I've been Scott Hewitt. I've had a blast. This has been a great show. I hope everybody listening to it has enjoyed it. I'm Samuel Freeman. Goodbye. And Thank you. I am Adam Yanch, and we'll continue to be Adam Yanch before the next week's show. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.